Let's turn to 1 Peter, 1st chapter, 12th verse. First Peter, chapter 1, verse 12. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. And that was what we had last week. That was our lesson last week, talking about the prophets. This week, it's the last part of this verse. Which things the angels desire to look into? Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thee this morning to give us understanding and wisdom in things of thy word. We ask thy spirit to be present with us to make these things real. As we talk about our Lord Jesus Christ and the wonders of his salvation, the same things that the prophets wondered about, the same things that the angels wonder about. May our wonderment be amazement and turn into glorying and singing praises unto thee because of our involvement in thy great salvation. We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. It's good to see you all here this morning. Good to see Linda here. We don't see her too often, but we're always delighted. feel like just another one come home for a day. All right, this is lesson number 14. Can you believe we're in the 14th lesson of Peter already? It seems like we just started the book. seems like we were in John 17 so long, and now all at once we, we finally got to Peter, and already we've been in here 14 lessons. This will be number 14. The scripture, which things the angels desire to look into. We are enjoying the delicate words of a rough old fisherman named Peter. In verse 7, he said, The trial of our faith was precious. Not exactly fisherman language, is it? And he compared it to gold, our most valuable substance, and says, Huh, no comparison there. No comparison to even gold. Along with the truth of the gospel and the joy in believing, our verse today is bringing out the worth of our salvation. And to commend it to us, the Apostle Peter brings forth the prophets and the angels. When the prophets foretold it, they viewed and reviewed their own prophecies that they might be more thoroughly acquainted both with the thing and the time. They prophesied of other things also, the rise and downfall of great kings and kingdoms, but these were not the things they inquired after so diligently, but the sufferings of Christ and the glory which should come to us. You see, that's what it says in verse 11, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. And now we come to the angels. And up to this point, I kind of got a confession to it, tell you. I have been told and I've heard preached that angels desired to look, but they couldn't because they were not involved in salvation. Like some poor helpless bystanders had to remain in ignorance because it was none of their business. Now, maybe today's lesson will help us to appreciate our salvation 
and understand the nature and interest that angels have, not just in our salvation, but in the Savior. Our basic thought is that the mystery of redemption by Christ is an object worthy of the desire and admiration of the angels themselves. Interesting, because a lot of people don't believe in angels. Where are we taught about angels? Where's our source of angel knowledge? In the scriptures. There are two kinds of angels, some good and some bad. Some that fell away and stood not in the truth. Others that are called elect angels. Turn to 1 Timothy 5.21. Just back a little bit from Peter, not too far. 1 Timothy 5.21. Paul speaking, says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. The fact is they're called elect angels. Now, is Peter talking about the bad angels? Of course not. For since the fall, they're called devils, not angels. Peter is speaking of a holy desire, of a holy object of which those damned spirits are not capable. It's a burden to evil spirits to even think of God or Christ. Turn to James 2.19, just before Peter, just before Peter, about three pages back. James 2.19, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. They don't even like to think about God or the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ's presence was a torment to the evil spirits. Turn to Matthew 8, 29. Matthew 8, 29. And behold, they cried out, saying, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? You see, they're, they're very knowledgeable. They know there is a time coming, and they know what their torment's going to be. But they dread the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, in Peter, it is meant of those good angels that behold the face of God and minister in his presence. They are beholding, wondering, rejoicing at the mysteries of the gospel. Now, there are two kinds of creatures made after the likeness of God, angels and men. And they are placed in the two extremities of creation, the one in heaven and the other on earth, so that at both ends of creation there might be some to glorify him and acknowledge his excellencies. It seems that here below, the mystery of redemption is little esteemed. But there in heaven, this mystery, so little regarded here, is more thought of and better studied by the angels. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy 3.16, where it says, Our Lord Jesus Christ and his life was seen of angels. 1 Timothy 3.16. That says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God 
was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. That seen of angels seems to be insignificant. But what it means is, is they beheld his life with wonder and reverence. Now we have the parable of the lost sheep. Everybody knows that one. And the shepherd leaving all the rest and searching till he finds and brings us home wrapped around his shoulders. Why would God employ such labor and service to court us when he has angels enough to glorify him 10,000 times, 10,000 by thousands of thousands? Stand before his throne. You want to see where that is? I didn't make those figures up. That's Revelation 5.11. Turn over there quick. Revelation 5.11. That's a lot. I don't know how you, how you could come to the, to the final figure when it says, And beheld, and I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times Ten thousand and thousands of thousands. It's a lot of angels. And they know God. They know him better than we do and they're ready to praise him. Yet God not only woos us, but paid all of our sin debt by the sacrifice of himself, took our place personally, our names and persons signed and sealed in his hands and in his book. You say, where do you get all that from? Well, let's look at Isaiah 49, 16. Isaiah 49, 16. Right around page 1090, 1091. It says, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hand. Thy walls are continually before me. Your names were written in the hands of our Lord Jesus Christ, and thus when he was crucified, the nails went right through you too. What a thought. Only an infinite God could accomplish this. Now I said our names were also written in the Lamb's book of life. Turn to Revelation 13.8. And we'll be referring to this several times. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Not the Lord, no. This is Antichrist chapter, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified for his people. And if he was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world in the book was in print before that. Now, what things do the angels desire to look into? They aren't taken up with us. They are looking at the person of the Redeemer, the most glorious object that can be looked upon or taken into the thoughts of any creature. Not only are the angels delighted in Christ, but God the Father was delighted in him and is delighted in him. Turn to Proverbs 8.30. Proverbs 8.30. 
I'm going to go a little bit quicker than I think that some of you can turn to, but we've got a lot of scriptures to read today. It says, Then was I by him as one brought up with him, and I was his daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Matthew 3.17, a very, very public acknowledgement of our Father's delight in the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 3.17, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then there's one more, a wonderful scripture found in Isaiah 42.1. Isaiah 42.1 Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. The Lord Jesus Christ delighted the Father. Then the angels look at the way of redemption over there in verse 11 in 1 Peter 1. The way of redemption, verse 11, the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Here they see the harmony, the solution between infinite mercy and infinite justice that both might have full satisfaction. Turn to Romans 3.24. That's approximately on page 1659. I have it. It says this being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. I, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Another thing the angels look at is the grace that should come to us. Verse 10, they are amazed that God keeps us poor creatures in constant communication. Where is that found? Look at 1 John 1, 3. It's a little behind Peter, a little bit toward the end. 1 John, a few pages. 1 John 1, 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The dwelling of our nature with God in a personal union this they wonder at when they know the scripture says in Psalm 113.6, Psalm 113.6, page 949 or close to it, that God who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth kind of a degradation to even look around. That's how godly and holy our God is. His majesty and all sufficiency is so great that he might justly despise the angels themselves. 
but now he should stoop so low as to look after us, poor crawling worms, and admit us to be one with him? This is a source of amazement. Where's that found? We'll look at John 17:21. Now we're back to the old stomping grounds. John 17:21 is the root and the base of so many gracious truths. John 17:21 that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, and that they also may be one in us. This is amazing to angels. This union between God and the inhabitants of the lower world is a matter of wondrous delight to the angels. The angels discover God's wisdom, power, goodness, and truth in the curious variety and interweavings of providence and bringing his poor creatures to glory. Look at Ephesians 3.10, and it'll open that scripture up to you. Hebrews, I mean... uh, Ephesians 3.10. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians, we want 3.10. It says, To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known. It might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. They learn by God's dealings with us things about the wisdom of God. The angels are learning. They can see now, where we can't see clearly, but they can, how God's, how God confuses the wisdom of men and devils and leads the saints to glory. And then the final glorious estate of the saints shall be witnessed by angels. Remember last week we read the scripture in 2 Thessalonians 1.10, it says he comes to be glorified in his saints. We marvel at that. Imagine poor dust to shine as stars and to be admitted with Christ to judge the world, even evil angels. Where's that? Well, look at Luke 12, 8 and 9. The book of Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, Verses 8 and 9. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. It's a little deep, isn't it? It is. I've got to admit that. And then another scripture. Uh, Revelation 3, 5. Revelation 3, 5. That's that last wonderful chapter that we read so, so many, many times. It says, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father, and strangely enough, before his angels. They're pretty important folk, angels. Now, how do the angels look into these things? It says they desire to look into. Now, this doesn't mean that they wish they could and they can't. It means that they look with an accurate inspection to look toward, so as to look through. 
They understand more of these mysteries than we do, having no mass of flesh to clog them and obstruct the operations of the Spirit. They are pure spirits, living near to God and loving Him above all. And because of the excellency of their natures, they have an advantage of knowing more about our world than we do. Yet they are prying. Yet their desire is so great to find out more. Learning more of Christ with each sinner that gets saved. That's how their knowledge progresses. You see, our flesh and our mind is what makes up our nature. The flesh lusts and the mind consents. Now, turn it around. Let the mind lust and the flesh fulfills. You say, is that in the Bible? Well, it sure is. Look at Ephesians 2.3. Turn to Ephesians 2.3. It says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. I told you that the flesh and mind make up our natures. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. This is life, naturally. This is the normal way of life. And it happens to be called death in Ephesians 2.1. Ephesians 2.1 says, You who were dead in trespasses and sins, so the most successful life, the most glamorous life, the most benevolent life, the most famous life, not quickened or stopped in its life cycle by God's Holy Spirit, that person is labeled a child of wrath. That's Ephesians 2.3. And listen, all of God's chosen ones, all of God's elect we're at one time numbered with them. There's no difference. You can't tell them apart by looking. No one is ever free from the lust of the flesh and the lust of the mind. The death blow to your life meant quickening, awakening, your introduction to eternal life. Now, there's a couple of scriptures that are going to explain what I just said to you. Turn to Matthew 10.39. Matthew 10.39. We skipped so many scriptures last week that we, we ended up with time on our hands, so we don't want to do that this week. Matthew 10.39 says this, He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. I'm talking about a normal life and I'm talking about a spiritual life. I didn't say you've got to die, be killed. It don't say that. It says you lose your life, your attachment to this world. That's when you find Christ. Now, another scripture to clarify the same thing. Look at John 12, 25. John 12, 25 says the same thing, only in different words. It says, he that loveth his life shall lose it. 
And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. You see, I'm talking spiritually. I'm talking about the new heart and the new nature and the new life that the Holy Spirit instills within a person when they come to Christ. That's what that means. Let's see, where are we? The angels stand amazed. Let's imagine for a moment that the angels are talking among themselves. One says, you know, it takes all three persons of the Godhead to haul one of these rascals in. Somewhere long before we were created, our wonderful God and creator knew each one of these humans he would choose out of the sons of men. And he wrote their names in a book. He knew them well enough then with a love I'll never understand to take on their nature even their flesh, and then experience agony, suffering, and death in the place of each one of them? You know, I understand that the Father wrote their names in the Lamb's book of life, Revelation 13, 8. And then he gave that book to God the Son, who said, I'll take on their flesh and nature and be their substitute. Boy, I can see why they need a substitute. Such miserable, sinful creatures. They're so hateful to our great God and so in love with their sinful ways that if the spirit of our great God didn't directly speak to their hearts, brood over them, open their eyes and hearts to the truth of life and eternity, they would be just like the ones whose names are not in the book. Hateful, hating one another lusting, lying, cheating till the day they die and wait for judgment. Just turn to Titus 3, 3 just for a second and check that out. See if they're telling the truth. Titus Philemon Hebrews. It's right after Timothy. Titus 3, 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hating and hate, hateful and hating one another. That's a description of God's people before the grace of God comes to them. And sometimes it carries over even into their life. And that's why they've got to cry unto him every day for forgiveness. And he's faithful and just to forgive them. Angels are talking. To make it easy for them, our God even had a few of the more famous humans write a book. And God the Spirit gave them the exact words that he wanted him in the book. He even chose and started a nation of humans called the Jews to do the writing and assembling of the writings into one book. And in this book, God tells in many ways his plan to save some of these humans. This book is so precious in our master's eyes, he has preserved it through every one of Satan's attacks to destroy it. God the Son calls himself the Word, 
to show how much the book speaks of him. And guess what? This book called the Word of God means nothing to these humans until our God the Spirit intervenes somehow, some way, and makes them hear it or read it, and on top of that has to give them special understanding of spiritual things. Boy, are they dummies. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.14. 1 Corinthians 2.14. The angel speaking the truth, let's see. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, and neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The angels keep on talking. This one says, well, I've had to watch over several of these chosen ones in the last few thousand years, but they never get any better. As time gets closer to the end, our wonderful God's love to these creatures seems to multiply. God's book tells about our work in Hebrews 1.14. Let's turn to Hebrews 1.14. Let's see what the angel's work is. Hebrews 1.14. See, in verse 13, it says, To which of the angels? He didn't say anything to the angels about sitting on his footstool, but he says that angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? They are our babysitters. And he says, as, as time gets closer to the end, God's love's got to multiply because he's creatures get worse we can't keep them from sinning we can only keep them from dying so many times I've said to myself Lord what did you ever see in this one they all start out alike so little so helpless so messy they cry they get sick and we must be on our toes when they're little because when Satan sees that we're assigned to one of these creatures, he's going to try to kill them. And then they get a little bigger where they can talk. And then they get sassy to their parents. And on the side, they start saying bad words. And it isn't long before they are telling outright lies and they're stealing things and their mommies and daddies think that's cute. And soon after that, Little boys discover that little girls are different. And from then on, that nature from Adam that seated itself and every man and woman takes over. I tell you, I have to cover my eyes and say, Lord, when is thy saving grace going to work? When is it going to begin? This person I'm assigned to is the biggest liar, cheater, stealer, luster I've seen yet. Are you sure I got the right name? You say, be patient. This one is going to preach for you someday. Oh, brother, I've got to see this. Nothing but a miracle of the grace of our God could stop this mad creature, much less make him preach. Yes, I do remember Paul. He was the pattern, wasn't he? 1 Timothy 1.16. Let's see what that says. 1 Timothy 1.16. 
How did, for this cause, I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Yes, I, I remember Paul. Now with utmost interest and desire, I want to see what happens to this creature that I'm assigned to. Now you know, as smart as angels are, the mystery of salvation exceeds their understanding. And therefore they desire to know more and more. They have an experimental knowledge of prophecies fulfilled concerning the church here upon earth. They have also learned from seeing Christ born, die, and rise again, the spirit poured out, the devil dispossessed, and the gospel kingdom erected. They were witnesses to all of that. Do the angels look into salvation? You bet they do. We find them with Christ after the 40 days temptation with Satan. Matthew 4.11. Matthew 4.11, I'll read it to you. If I can find it faster than you. Then, this is 4.10. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Verse 11 says, Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. So they were familiar with that part of our Lord's life. We find them with Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke twenty-two forty-three. Luke twenty-two forty-three. See if I can find it quickly. The time is beginning to run down. Verse 42, we remember this part. The Lord said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And after he had said that, it said, and there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. When Christ was buried and in the grave, it was angels that rolled away the stone. Matthew 28, 2. Matthew 28, 2 says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. John 20, 12. John 20, verse 12. said, And when Mary came into the sepulcher weeping, and she wept and stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. They were in the tomb, the first ones there. When Christ ascended back to heaven, just after talking to the apostles and telling them, hey, don't worry about the kingdom, that's, that's going to be, it's not time for Israel, there's something else greater coming up. This is in Acts one ten, right after the book of John. Acts one ten, somebody appears. Verse 10, it says, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you 
into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. These were angels comforting the disciples, saying, hey, he's coming back. Now, he hasn't come back yet. He did come back just immediately after the resurrection. He stayed with you for 40 days. He's going to come back yet, though, on a cloud. He's coming back as a king. And then another time the angels were there. You remember this one real, real good. In Luke 2, 10 and 13, when our Lord was born, when our Lord was born, an angel heralded his birth, not just an angel, but I think the whole army of angels of heaven came down. It's Luke 2, 10 and 13. Verse 10, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. You know what? They knew something about salvation. They weren't ignorant. They weren't in the dark. I, I can't understand what transpired in my heart and mind from hearing sermons and people say the angels desired to look into, but they can't get into salvation like we can. Oh, no. They admire the Redeemer. you got to remember, they were elected too. The elect angels were and are kept by the grace of God. They have a certain thing to thank God the Father for and God the Son and God the Spirit because they were chosen also. There's not a creature created that would stand with his own free will and choose God apart from election. And they know it. You hadn't thought about that, had you? You just thought they always were beautiful and nice and they, just because they're so good, they stayed. Uh-uh. They stayed on God's side because they were elected to do so and had the power. They know their present condition is because of the electing love, though they never sinned. Now, they know it is possible to fall because they know the evil angels that fell. They know about that. They have experienced, they've seen that take place. So they marvel not so much at our election as rather to the condition of the one elected, so full of sin, born in sin, living in sin, loving sin, and hating God. This defies their description of election or love. How? Why? These are the questions that bother them. Each sinner saved magnifies the love of Christ. The angels aren't jealous. They love Christ for his love to us. Next week, we will continue more about the angels looking into salvation. You've listened wonderfully well this morning. The Lord gave us Time enough to cover all of the scriptures, though I never thought we would do it. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank thee this morning for just a little glimpse into thy wonderful creation. 
beings created much more perfect than us human beings, but not redeemed by blood, just elected, who love the Savior, who love the Creator, but they will never be on a par with God's redeemed people who will rule and reign with Christ. There's so much more for the sinner in store. The promises are in God's word. They're just as sure to be fulfilled as all of those that have been fulfilled already. Mansions of gold. Sit with Christ. Be with him forever. Be like him. Have bodies that won't sin. Bodies that have no pain. No more sorrow. No more crying. All of these things for God's people who have them now by faith. We live in that world. We look for that world. And that world's going to be ours shortly. We ask that these things will be real to the hearts of these people that are here this morning and those that will hear by tape. And we ask you to bless the service that follows. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.